Amen. All right. Hey, how many of you guys remember a few weeks back and I shared that one article where the uh, uh, Cobb County, uh, Georgia school uh, was getting sued by the ACLU for putting those stickers uh, in the textbooks that said that evolution is a theory, not a fact. Remember that? And they got sued for that. Okay, which is what it's supposed to be, right? It's a theory, not a fact. And they got sued uh, for just putting that in there. Okay, well, believe it or not, I came across the actual uh, ruling. It went to court. And here's the actual ruling from the judge. Okay, uh, a federal judge ordered school officials in Atlanta suburb to remove the stickers they placed in biology textbooks that said, and here's what the sticker said in fullness, evolution is a theory, not a fact, and it should be approached with an open mind, studied carefully, and critically considered. Get that out of there now, he said. Can you believe that? That's all I said, right? In a 44-page decision, U.S. District Judge Clarence Cooper concluded that the stickers, although worded to avoid religious reference, he said amounted to an endorsement of Christian fundamentalist uh, or creationist beliefs. Well, how? It just said evolution's a theory, uh, uh, not a fact, and you need to look at this with an open mind study it carefully and critically. What? Okay, anyway, so Cobb County authorities expressed disappointment in the ruling and said in a statement that the school board would consider an appeal because they said, listen, the textbook stickers were, quote, a reasonable and even-handed guide to science instruction and encouraged students to be critical thinkers. That's it. But Judge Cooper ordered that the stickers be removed immediately ASAP and he forbid school authorities from distributing them in any form whatsoever. Get them out of there and get them out of there now. And all he said was, just, it's a theory, not a fact. And think about this critically and with an open mind and deal with the issues. You've got to be kidding me, okay? And folks, again, as we've been seeing, what's, what's amazing is how that uh, uh, judge could order those stickers uh, out of the textbooks of students that encourage them to think critically when what in the world is the purpose of an education? To think critically with an open mind and examine the facts, but not anymore. It's gotten so bad. Get that out of there. Okay, is what we saw. And I want to share with you just how bad it's getting because that's what he's doing. He's suppressing the truth, folks. Don't look at anything else but evolution. In fact, don't you dare touch it with a 10-foot pole. Don't even say that it's just a theory, not a fact. Okay, and get that out of there. That suppression is what's going on there. But I want to share with you just how bad it's getting. I just came across this article last week. Okay, and uh, there's all kinds of things going on that completely, radically, instantaneously disprove evolution. It is not a fact. Okay, it's a statement of faith. Okay, you have to believe in it. And, uh, and then make sure that you're here, Lord willing, next week. I'll show you the actual video. You'll see it with your own eyes. But here's what the article says. This massive dinosaur soft tissue discovery in China includes skin and feathers. Okay, a fossil bed in China is being called the uh, Jurassic Park. It's yielded perhaps the greatest dinosaur soft tissue discovery of all time. According to the media reports, nearly complete skeletons have been found, listen, including skin and feathers. Not just the complete skeletons, but it's got still the skin on it and the feathers. Okay? But of course, if these dinosaurs roamed uh, tens of millions of years ago, uh, this should be absolutely impossible. This sounds like this person writing this is a critical thinker. <laughs> right? He said, needless to say, this shocking discovery is once again going to have paleontologists scrambling to find a way to prop up the popular myths uh, that they've been promoting, i.e. evolution. Listen, he said, what they have been telling us simply does not fit the facts. 
That's what he says. So it just, it's just, this one fine blows it out of the water. The truth is that the latest fine is even more evidence, listen, this isn't the first time, is even more evidence that dinosaur, dinosaurs are far, far younger than we have been traditionally taught. In fact, we are now starting to find dinosaur soft tissue all over the place. So it isn't just this one time, it's starting to come out all over the place. Well, wait a second. If these things are 65, 70 million years old, how could you still have soft tissue in these critters? Again, next week I'll show you the actual video of the actual tissue being stretched like this. It's amazing, okay? But if the dinosaurs were taken out by a worldwide flood roughly 44, 4,500 years ago, and they were covered up, they could still have certain uh, portions that are soft, right? It fits the biblical account. The facts fit the biblical account, not evolution, okay? And what they're doing, again, folks, is my question is, why isn't this on the news? Right? Why, why, isn't this all, why isn't this article that I came across, some obscure article uh, from this find in China, okay, uh, on NBC or ABC or CBS, the three sewer lines, why, why, don't, we, why don't we hear about this stuff, okay? And uh, what happens is we're seeing is it's a suppression. It's a suppression of the truth. And we've been seeing in our study, again, that those who suppress the truth about God's existence, what are these people actually doing? They're storing up the wrath of God. And once again, how many guys would say it's time to get a different hobby? Okay, and so therefore, uh, we're going to help these people out and uh, we're going to see if we can become the uh, most effective witnesses uh, that we can. And so we're going to continue again looking at the witness of God's creation. And what we're doing is looking at the different evidences that God's given to us to show us he's not just real, but we really can have a personal, loving, beautiful, intimate relationship with him through Jesus Christ. Okay, and so far we saw that first evidence is the evidence of an intelligent creation or intelligent design. That's what we've been looking at for several weeks. And we've seen so far the first four evidence as our journey goes from the telescope to the microscope, uh, the evidence of the universe, the solar system, the human body, and of course the animal kingdom. And just in the animal kingdom, we've saw so far the design of the mammals, the birds, and the fish. And last time, we saw how reptiles and uh, amphibians show intelligent design. And when we looked at the scientific data, the facts, uh, we saw that anybody whose peas done hasn't rolled off their casserole, uh, you, you're dealing with the facts there that <clears throat> uh, this design and even a frog, a, a gecko, remember that? Uh, the false-eyed frog that puts an eyeball on the face on its back in one second. They can't see what he's doing. There's no way that can happen by chance. And what that shows is that that's intelligent design. So that implies it came from a designer, i.e. God. Okay, but that's right. I told you this sermon's really going to bug you. Okay. And it's going to bug you big time, okay? Because the sixth evidence, uh, the sixth group of uh, animals, okay, is the buggy creatures, okay? Bugs. I'm telling you, the simple things we look at, we pay people to spray and get out of here, okay? Shows amazing design. It's everywhere, okay? When the Bible says that God created all things, he created all things. And that includes even the bugs, okay? In fact, I wanted to switch it up and give you a different text. We've been dealing with the Genesis account. Let's go to the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 4, open there is our opening text. And uh, we're going to take a look. That Bible says God created all things. And that means all things. And that means the bugs too, okay? Revelation chapter 4. And as you turn there, we could have once again gone back to the Genesis account. The Genesis account does actually talk about bugs, if you will. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, I believe, uh, 24, 25, 26 in there, uh, talks about that God is the one who created not only the land animals, but the animals that crawled on the land, which would be 
creepy crawly things, bugs, and that thing. So we could have went there. But I wanted to give you another aspect. A Genesis account isn't the only place in the Bible that makes the point that over and over again that God is the creator of all things, that God is the creator. And what you're going to see is outside the holiness of God, okay, the fact that God created this magnificent creation and all that we see, okay, when it's not suppressed from us, okay, it's cause to worship him because it's fantastic. I mean, just all the things that we've seen in our study, all the design, and we're about halfway there, okay, it's amazing, right? It causes you to go, wow, God, that's amazing. Look at your handiwork, right? And that's what we see is actually evolution, if you think about it, suppressing the truth about God's existence and his creation is robbing him of glory. Because when you see of his creation that he's the creator of all this, wow, it inspires worship. Uh, Revelation chapter 4, let's take a look there. Uh, verse 6 uh, says this, Also there was a throne that looked like a, a, a sea of glass clear as crystal, and in the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. Kind of like your mom growing up. You ever have one of them moms? You couldn't get away with nothing, right? And then she had that uh, shoe that was uh, part boomerang. That she did, wasn't even looking at you. you. You took that thing off, threw it, and swing back. You put it back on, keep walking. You get one of those? She had eyes everywhere. I tell you what. Let's move on. So anyway, so that's what these creatures had. Had these eyes, okay, in front and back. The, the first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third like the face of a man. The fourth like a flying eagle. And each of the four living creatures had six wings. And they were covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. And listen, day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Now, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever... The 24 elders, they get into it and they fall down before him who sits on the throne. And they what? They worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay down their crowns before the throne and they say, Hey, you are worthy, uh, Lord and God, to receive this glory, to receive this honor and, and power. Why? Because what's the attribute that they mention here? For you created what? All things. And by your will, God, not some blind chance event, by your will, God, they were created and have their being. Okay? And so in this text, what we see here in Revelations, whether it's the beginning of the Bible or the end of the Bible, the Bible says that the redeemed and the heavenly beings are giving God glory and honor and praise. And it mentions why. Why are they inspired to worship him? Why do they give him this glory and this honor and this praise? And they're busting out and falling down before him and casting their counts. It's because he is holy. He is holy. He is holy, certainly. And that he lives forever and ever and ever. But it's specifically said because you are the one who created all things. And again, I'm telling you guys, when you take a look at what God has created, you not only come to the knowledge, Romans chapter 1, that he exists. I may not see him, but I see his handiwork and what he has made. But when you see how incredibly uh, complex he's made all of creation, you worship him. And just as a side note, I don't know about you, but to me, the, uh, another neat uh, secondary application is when you look at God's intelligent design in his creation, that tells you that everything has an intelligent design. Does that include our problems? So God, does he intelligently design everything in creation except what happens in our lives? I mean, that'll preach. That's not this, uh, where I'm going with this sermon, but that's an encouraging thing, right? So when you see it caught, whoa, it's encouraging, it's awesome, okay? Now here's the problem. What does evolution teach? That's what the Bible teaches, okay? Does evolution say, hey, yeah, you're right. God is the creator of all things from the giant stars down to the tiny bugs. All means all. And uh, look at all those bugs that exist for the glory of God most high. 
No, that's not at all what they say. They say, look at those little tiny bugs that evolved from chance and slime. Okay? But, but again, so, so okay, that's fine. Okay, if you want to believe that, that's fine. But let's be critical thinkers. Okay? You won't let us put a sticker in the book. But let, let's be a critical thinker. Okay? Let us have an open mind. Let us deal with the facts. Okay? Let's take a look at some facts. It's just some bugs out there. And you tell me if they ever could have accidentally uh, buzzed onto the scene. And the first ones we're going to deal with is the flying bugs. Okay, and the first flying bug is the flying spider. Now, I know it's getting late, but can anybody tell me the reason why they call this the flying spider? It flies. That's right, Ron, because it flies. He's on the ball. He's sharp. He's alert. It's a flying spider. Check this out. Spiders not only make you and I jump real high, but some of these guys actually fly. See, see you're going to get spiders whether you want them or not. I don't care where you live. They're coming after you. Okay, so here's how they do it. After a baby fly, uh, uh, flying spider is born, he will immediately crawl up to a high point, uh, maybe a grass stem or the side of a tree trunk or something really high. Uh, and then once he's there, he turns up his backside and he begins to spew forth webbing from his backside to the point where it's about nine feet long. Well, why? I mean, he's just born. I mean, is this just a guy thing? Uh, it's the first day alive. You got to do something. So, you know, you just do your thing and say, hey, right? Why is he doing this? Well, it's not some random chance event, folks. It's pre-programmed into this guy. Where'd that come from? Okay. Uh, he does it for this reason. He knows that the wind will catch it. And the next thing you know, he's lifted off its feet into the air and he goes off flying away. So he knows that's how he's going to travel. Where'd he get? He's just one day old. How does he know that? Okay. But that's not the half of it. He not only knows how to start flying to get the process going the first day he's born, but he knows how to steer himself while flying. It's been recorded, folks, that as he's airborne, he climbs up on the fluttering thread of the web. He's not just hanging there at the mercy of the wind. He's flying the thing. He, and, and, and he begins to steer the vessel. And here's what he does. He does it by walking about halfway onto the line there. He pulls on it. He tugs it here and there. He reels it underneath him. And he's got this whole mechanism that he's doing. First day born. Okay, why? Because in this way, the line becomes a rudder where he literally begins to steer himself up or down. Now, where did he learn to do all this? fly a plane, if you will, one day old. I was talking to my daughter, Rebecca, in the car. I, we were talking about flying spider. And uh, she had learned about it in her uh, homeschool uh, science book. And believe it or not, there's lots of good science out there. You don't need to squish in this line called evolution. Okay. And uh, so I said, yeah. I says, did you know that she knew about it uh, spitting out the web there out of his backside and flying, the flying baby spider? Okay. And I said, but do you realize the thing steers it? She goes, are you serious? I said, yeah. He climbs up halfway and he starts doing this, whatever. And I says, and that's supposed to evolve? She goes, that's dumb. I said, yeah, chip off the old block. I says this. And she, her own comment, I didn't even bait her on this. She said this. She goes, she goes uh, uh, wait a second. A baby, one day old, can't even crawl. How are you going to learn to fly? Double chip off the block. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's, it's what? This guy, this is crazy. And this guy does it all the time. And he's still not done. His brain is one thousandth the size of a pinhead. And how did he get those excellent flying instructions? Okay, it's, it's amazing. Now, while scientists are still trying to figure this out, where'd this come from? The flying spider keeps on flying until he eventually lands on something long enough, only long enough to prepare for another flight. And, to, and he does it again if he wants to. Okay, I'm done here. I'll just, and he takes off flying again. Okay, in fact, this baby spider's been found as high as 16,000 feet in the air, which is higher than any other animal on the planet. Okay, my theory is this is why they really secretly don't ever let you open the windows on an airplane. Because they don't want these spiders coming in and freaking people. Oh, 
Okay, anyway. But anyway, so really, can you imagine that? Okay, and this means a baby spider cannot just take a trip just a few miles down the road or another state. Uh, he can go even to an island out in the sea. I'm telling you folks, you can spray all you want. They're still coming after you, okay? You're going to have to deal with spiders. Give it up. Okay, now not only this one, the large blue butterfly. Now, Ron got the first one right. Can anybody tell me why this is called the large blue butterfly? Give it up for Bobby. And Joey, Joey, sorry, the Bobby and Joe show. Yeah, that's right. Now, here's what's amazing with this guy. Okay, it starts off as a larva, like butterflies do, right? Okay, but eventually it turns into a caterpillar. Okay, uh, but unlike other butterflies that you would expect, after the first two molts, it becomes restless and it literally walks away from its food source. Now, if evolution is true, that's something you wouldn't do. You know, the strongest, the fittest survive and you've got to stay close and survive and be strong. And so this guy literally walks away from it all. What's he doing? Okay, and then all of a sudden he does something seemingly suicidal. He deliberately lays its eggs on plants close to an ant's nest. Well, that's crazy. Why in the world did you specifically leave your food supply and go straight to an ant's nest? Okay, well, listen to this. Sure enough, soon the ants find it, the, the eggs and the, the, the caterpillar larva, okay, and uh, when they hatch and stuff, and whereupon they do something even weirder, okay, because uh, uh, they don't eat the caterpillar. Ants like caterpillars, but they don't eat this one. Watch what happens. They start stroking this caterpillar. And they, they don't just stroke it. They stroke specifically the 10th segment of this caterpillar. Why? Because for some reason, these ants know that this segment on this caterpillar will ooze out a kind of sweet honeydew for the ants. And it gets even weirder than that. Then the ants are all over the thing. The caterpillar all of a sudden takes action and raises up its hind end high up in the air. It's like, oh he's, oh, he's trying to get out of there. He's freaking out. No, not at all. Uh, he's not trying to get away. This is a signal. So the caterpillar now knows he needs to, at this stage, do the signal thing. And the first ant that found it, and for some reason, only the first ant, okay, will gently now seize, at this signal, the caterpillar up, signaling the other ants to come help and carry it off to the underground nest. Well, now he's in big trouble because he's going to Ant City, right? And they're going to eat him up, right? No, watch this. Uh, so they don't eat it either. And so they make a home for this guy and they feed it some of their own baby ants for food. It's kind of like a foreign exchange program. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Except I don't recommend eating the foreign exchange students' children. Say, but so, what? Uh, well, so now they build them a home and then they sacrifice their own kids for uh, food for this guy. Why? Because in exchange, the ants get to keep milking the caterpillar's 10th segment for their own food. In fact, here's what's wild. Tell me they aren't designed for each other. Okay, scientists have tried to harvest this nectar themselves, right? Okay, but, and by touching the 10th segment, but to no avail. For some reason, only the touch of an ant's antenna or feet will yield the nectar. We can't make it happen, but only with an ant, with its antenna or its feet. It's, they're made for each other, but that's still not all. Soon the caterpillar makes a cocoon, right? And then three weeks later, he emerges as a butterfly, but now he's got a problem. He's inside the ant nest now. Now he's a butterfly. Okay, uh, ants like to eat butterflies. Now what's he going to do? Well, as it turns out, they love to eat butterflies. So what does he do? He doesn't do anything. For some reason, the ants don't even touch this guy, even though he's now a different creature. He, and he's really what they like to eat. And he won't touch him. And even though he's no longer yielding his honeydew, he just casually crawls out, he flies off, and the cycle begins all over again. And that's supposed to evolve? I, I, I don't think so. This one's called the common mind. Now, can anybody tell me why it's called the common mind? Give it up for the Joe and Bobby show. Both the wrong answers because this thing is, a, I set you up on that one. This one is not common and it's not a mime. Uh, and by the way, this is Vegas. How many guys go to the strip and you see all those people doing the stuff down there for earn a buck or whatever? And you, you, have you ever run into those mime guys? 
you know, whatever, I can't even do it. I don't even want to try it, right? So wouldn't it be cool to go down there, uh, maybe as, as a, with a youth group or something, and have you ever thought about what, if, what would happen if we took a blank CD, put it in a boom box, turned it up full blast, would that drive a mime nuts? <laughs> Let's move on. Okay, so the common mime, uh, this guy, he lives on the island of Sri Lanka. Okay, this is cool. Uh, it's anything but common, but somehow they call it the mime because he mimics things. Watch this, through the whole stage. Okay, he has this ability to mimic various things at various stages of development. First of all, for some reason, it knows how to lay its golden colored eggs on the tender shoots of a plant that's also golden colored. Well, that's pretty convenient because that acts like a natural camouflage. Uh, then it just so happens as a young larva, it eats not on the bottom of the leaves, like most larva, but right out on top in plain view. Most of them will be underneath because they're hiding out from the birds or whatever, trying to eat them, right? This guy's in plain view. I don't care. Well, why is he doing that for you? Well, listen to this. Well, it just so happens that at this stage of development, it becomes colored with brown and yellow, that's a picture of it down there, brown and yellow smeary looking cream colored marks uh, with a wet looking gloss on it, okay? And it makes it look like a bird dropping. People don't eat bird droppings, right? So nobody touches it because he just, he made himself look like a bird dropping, okay? But now uh, there's a problem. The second half of this stage, the bird dropping grows, it gets to the point where it's too big, where birds flying going, that ain't from a bird, okay, unless it's a pterodactyl. So now he lost the thing, right? So he's, now he's too big to be that roost. So what's he do? Well, it just so happens now he changes colors again. Uh, this time too, as you can see a picture there, a gaudy black and a yellow and a red. And he's like, well, why those colors? Well, it just so happens specifically on the island of Sri Lanka, uh, creatures with those colors are often dangerous or poisonous. So once again, they leave them alone. Don't eat that guy because that's those poisons. Bob died last year when he ate one. Right? And so they pass the info on, the birds, you know, they're not stupid. Okay, but now he's got another problem, okay? Because as soon he's got to change into the cocoon stage, right? And then he's going to lose all those colors. So now what's he do? Well, it just so happens, that's an actual picture there, uh, that uh, the cocoon is placed on the plant, hanging upside down, colored and shaped, as you can see, just like a short twig that's broken off. So now it's just like a piece of the plant. Nobody's going to eat that, right? Okay, it's very amazing. But soon he's got another problem. He emerges as a butterfly, which the birds do like to eat. So now what's he do? Okay, well, believe it or not, here's where he starts to mimic. Uh, he comes out either colored brown and yellow like the Eopia butterfly or black and blue like the Denise butterfly, uh, both of which are distasteful to the birds there. And just to make sure that the birds fall for this ruse, he not only comes out with those particular colors, but he even mimics the way those particular butterflies fly, fooling them that he, they think that he's one of those guys. Where did he learn all this? And that's the issue. How could these flying bugs evolve slowly over time. And at what stage of development could any of those guys survive unless all those features are fully functioning all at the same time? Folks, and that's just the tip of the tip of the tip of just flying bugs, okay? They're completely designed from the get-go, pre-programmed from God in order to survive and procreate, okay? And this is why, when you take a look at the facts, this is why a cosmologist, a scientist, his name's uh, Barry Parker, he said this, who, who created these laws? What do we see? These facts with these flying bugs. Who created these laws? He says, there is no question, a scientist, there is no question but that a God will always be needed. You don't need a sticker for that. Right? You just look at it critically, which is how we were supposed to be taught in school, to think critically with an open mind and deal with the facts. That's science. That's good, normal science. You come to the conclusion, there's no stinking way that could happen by chance. That was designed by a designer it's from God, right? 
That's good old-fashioned education. Now, we're not done. We've got the second half to go, and that is the walking bugs. We dealt with flying bugs. Now let's deal with the walking bugs or the disco bugs, whatever that guy's doing there. And uh, we're going to take a look at some facts on these guys, and you tell me if they accidentally burrowed onto the scene. I don't think so. And let's take a look at this guy. This one's cool, the water beetles. How many guys grew up in the Midwest and the ponds and all the water beetles and things, and you tried to shoot them with a BB gun? And then as you got older, you went to a 22, or you just gave up, and you just went to the shotgun. Anybody? <laughs> yeah. But even then, it was hard to get those things, right? <laughs> right? Amazing creatures. Listen to what's going on with just a common water beetle. Okay? Uh, they not only <clears throat> live in water, but they can actually run on water. Anybody ever tried that lately? How do you wake up one day, if this is supposed to evolve, how do you wake up one day and say, I'm going to run on water? And it worked. Hey, it just, no, it doesn't work that way. Okay, let's continue on. Well, believe it or not, they do it by manipulating the water tension ahead of them. All right, well, wait a second. They're just sitting there floating on the water. Okay, so how can this be? Because now there's just as much surface tension in the water behind them uh, as is in front of them, so you shouldn't be able to go anywhere, right? You'd just be like you're on ice, just, you'd be doing like Fred Flintstone when he takes off in his car, he doesn't go anywhere for a while, and then... Okay, apparently I was in the Midwest too long. But anyway, so he, he, uh, how does he even move? He should just be sitting there skating like this, going nowhere. Well, check this out. Here's how he does it. It just so happens that some of these beetles come with a small gland at their back end of their abdomens. And listen to what it does. It just so happens that that gland contains a fluid that they just so happen to know how to place a tiny amount of that fluid on the water behind them. Well, why? Because it just so happens that fluid lowers the tension of the surface water behind them, which in turn causes the difference of water tension ahead of them, giving them the ability to literally run on water. It's a chemical process that enables him to do that. Absolutely amazing. In fact, it's only because of an obscure law of physics that this difference pulls the beetle forward. But again, just like my daughter observed, how in the world could this little tiny beetle figure out the complex chemical formula uh, for that fluid, much less plan how to restructure his body in order to manufacture that fluid in his gland. It's got to be there. Or you're stuck there your whole life, which isn't going to be very long, going nowhere. And so when you're sitting there going like this, stuck on the water, well, I guess it's time to create a chemical or something. What are you doing, Bob? Nothing. I'm doing the same thing you're doing. I'm stuck here too. <laughs> I mean, how many of us wake up one day and say, you know what? I'm just going gonna, gonna to restructure my body. Right? Yeah, even if you work out in weights, it takes a while. <laughs> you know, it doesn't happen overnight, right? You, you don't just decide to create another chemical. You got what you got, right? And that's what he does, okay? And he also, at the same time, though, he understands the physics of what he's doing in the first place. It's not just creating it. He knows what to do with it. And it's in the right spot and all that stuff, okay? Now, the question is, if we humans with our large brains can't instantly restructure our own bodies, how can we expect a tiny beetle brain to do it by process of evolution? It doesn't work that way. And by the way, did you know mankind didn't even know about these anti-surface tension detergents until just a few decades ago? God put it in this beetle a long time ago. Science today is actually catching up with what God has been doing from the get-go. Okay, nothing new under the sun, as King Solomon would say. How about some unusual bugs? Okay, did you know the Malayan hooded locust will actually slit open a part of its body to expose part of its guts to give the illusion that it's already been wounded so its predators think it's a poor food item? You know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, don't eat that one. He's been dead for a while. His guts are hanging out. Right? How many guys are going to use that the next time you don't want to go into work? Hey, boss, I can't. <clears throat> my intestines are hanging out. I can't come in. All right, all right. Take as much time as you want. 
<laughs> What's the motive for that? Uh, did, did you know that a, a flea can jump 130 times its own height, meaning it overcomes a force of 200 Gs, which is the equivalent of a horse jumping over the Andes Mountains in one jump? This is why I don't do horseback riding. I'm small enough as it is. Right? Okay, but anyway, listen. Did you know that a snail, we squish him. We put salt on him. How many guys? Yeah, you know you're out there. Well, that was cheap entertainment back in the day. A, a snail uh, can pull 200 times its own weight, which is equivalent to a man pulling 13 tons. And we squish them and salt them all the time. It's amazing. Uh, did you know there's certain bugs called flatta plant bugs? Now, you tried this. This was rough all week. Say flatta plant bugs five times real fast. Go. Two things that I've observed here, this is good science. Number one, you can't do it, can you? Number two, every time you sound like a, a vampire. Blah, 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 uh, it just doesn't work. All right, so flat up plant bugs. bugs. I didn't mean getting right, get it wrong. Uh, they, these things, that's, a, that's a, a, a picture of one right there. It looks gross, but listen to what that. They can actually gather together on plant stems, making themselves look like a flower. This is cool because they're different colors and so they coordinate making themselves look like a flower. Uh, you might say a big deal, but some of these bugs are multicolored. Some are pink, some are green. So what do they do? Well, they work together. Believe it or not, for some reason, the pink bugs, vampire bugs, whatever they are, uh, they know that they need to gather in the center, okay? And then they, the green ones know they're supposed to encircle the pink ones, right? And so they create a flower. It looks like a flower. And it makes them look like a pink flower in the midst of small green leaves. So they just, well, don't, you can't eat those. It's a flower, right? Where, how'd they learn how to do that? Did you know that some spiders don't make webs uh, to trap their prey, but they build a kind of fishing net the size of a nickel and they throw it over their insects? Isn't that wild? Yeah. Oh, well, we're getting to that guy. Uh, did you know some spiders don't even wait for insects to come to them? I'm not making this up. Listen to this. They actually build a little raft of webbing. They climb in and they go canoeing after the insects. Isn't that wild? They build a, a raft. And did you know some spiders, uh, one is called the bolo spider, they're true cowboys. This is a cowboy spider. And the reason why they call it the bolo uh, is because they don't make a web, they don't make a net, they don't make a, a canoe to trap their prey. But just like a cowboy, there's a picture of one doing it, they t take a strand of silk, put a tiny stick, uh, a sticky blob of goo on the end of it, and they proceed to lasso their prey. It's a cowboy spider. Okay, anyway, I was excited about that. And speaking of cowboys, did you know that some ants have their own cattle? They raise cattle. Right, watch this, okay? Believe it or not, some ants know how to milk, as we saw one example, milk uh, other insects uh, just like dairy cattle for food. Okay, we saw the one uh, aspect. Uh, in fact, just like cattle, they'll even herd them into special sheds that they built for them with fences and all. In fact, they've observed them if the fences get damaged and the cattle start escaping. Researchers have actually watched how the ants will send a few ants after them and turn them around and herd them back into the sheds like a cowboy. This is what they're observing them do. While other ants guard the entrance, while other ants start repairing the fence. Just like a little ranch. Ant ranchers. Okay, but that's still not. Each day the ants will actually drive out their cattle into pastures that they've prepared for them specifically so they can continue to eat and get fattened up. Like cattle. Just like a cattle ranch. Ants do that. I say the best one for the last. The bombardier beetle. The bombardier beetle is a bomb producing bug. Literally. Okay. Believe it or not. This bug has an incredible defense mechanism. It's a cross between tear gas and a machine gun. Inside this little bug. 
and here's how it works. When the beetle senses danger, it starts mixing together uh, some of its internal enzymes contained within one of its body chambers. And then these chemicals are made up of some normally ha uh, harmless compounds, hydrogen peroxide and hydroquinone, uh, and harmless until you place them together. They create a chemical reaction and they literally will blow up. Okay, and this process is actually the same kind of process that they use to make rocket fuel inside this bug. Okay, yeah, they're inside this beetle and he doesn't blow up. Why not? Well, let's take a look. It just so happens the beetle also has another chemical that he just so happens to know how and when to insert into the other two chemicals that prevents the first two chemicals from exploding. But wait a second, he wants them to explode at a certain point because he wants to use it now for a defensive mechanism. So what's he do? Well, later he then proceeds to squirt some of this liquid into another chamber uh, made precisely for combustion, whereby he then secretes other enzymes that causes the hydrogen peroxide to decompose into oxygen and the hydroquinone into toxic hydrogen. And then just before the instant of explosion, he combines the hydrogen and oxygen to form water, which is then supercharged to a temperature of 212 degrees, where it's released in a violent explosion, which results in a jet propelled, there's a picture of it, a boiling hot liquid fire that's machine gun at his enemy. And not just one that's randomly shot out the back, but it's a noxious boiling spray that's exploding outward with the fluid being pumped out through twin rear nozzles that rotate like a B-17's gun turret and hits the intruder with bullseye accuracy. In a bug. It's amazing. Give it up for bugs, okay? How did that chemical process get in there? And how did that bug evolve that? The first time you got those chemicals wrong, boom! And how many guys would say blown up beetles have no babies? Right? In fact, this one bug, this one, God, as we saw in our text, is the creator of all things. He is worthy of worship. He is worthy of worship just for that bug. But it was this one bug, okay? Uh, he doesn't blow up at all, okay? But it was this one bug that God used to save this former evolutionist. Okay, let's take a look. In the fall of 1971, I went to Baylor in Dallas and gave my first lecture. It was on the evolution of the tooth. And I talked about how these fish scales gradually migrated into the mouth and became teeth. And a couple of my students came to me after class that day and said, Dr. Martin, have you ever investigated the claims of creation science? Well, that was 1971. I'd never even heard of it. And uh, so I'm thinking to myself, where are these guys coming from? Uh, I've never heard of this and uh, so I said sure I'll look into this with you and I'm thinking kind of as a cocky young professor I'll blow these guys away well they asked me to start studying the assumptions that the evolutionists make and in all my years eight years of scientific education I had never had a single professor tell me about an assumption and uh, so we started looking at the assumptions and I began to realize they're making some claims here that really the assumptions aren't valid and, uh, and then they asked me to start studying some animals and see if I thought that animal could evolve. Well, the first thing that we really studied together was this little bug called a bombardier beetle. And this little insect, it's about a half inch long, and it mixes chemicals that explode. So I began to think, okay, now how would that evolve? Let's say if evolution is true, and you're evolving along here, and you don't have a defense mechanism, because that is the defense mechanism of the bug. So if evolution is true, it had to somehow evolve that. So let's say it's coming along here. Well, the first time it evolves the, the explosion, what does it do to the bug? Boom, you just splattered your bug, okay? So splattered bug pieces don't evolve. So I thought, well, how, how, how could this have happened? Well, it doesn't blow itself up. 
it has another little factory inside itself that manufactures chemicals a chemical acts as a catalyst so that when you squirt that chemical in with these other chemicals that are like in neutral you get your explosion well the first time it manufactured that little chemical it, it, here it goes again blew itself up again but it doesn't why well because it has like an asbestos lined firing chamber and even then it would blow itself up if it didn't have somewhere for the explosion to go so it has uh, twin tail tubes and it can aim these tail tubes all the way up out the side out the front let's say a spider is coming up toward its side and it doesn't have time to turn around and shoot uh, it can just take its little gun turret and aim it out there and shoot thus the explosion on this little bug all you hear if, if you're listening as a human you hear this pop but scientists have now put that explosion in slow motion and it's like it's like about a thousand sequential little explosions but they're so fast all we hear is one pop and so you think well now why would that be well, that was a curious thing for the scientists that study this little bug. A lot of them at Cornell University, some other places. And what they discovered was that if it was just one big pop, the, the little bug, if he's shooting like a spider, let's say over here, uh, and he goes bang and shoots it, he's going to pop himself right out of there. It's like lighting a burner on a jet engine. So he's out of there. But as long as it is a sequential explosion with his little legs, he can hang on. How would evolution explain a sequential explosion. This little bug messes with all the theories of evolution. There is no way a slow gradual process is going to produce this bug. There's no way uh, even the newest theories of evolution like punctuated equilibrium which means evolution happens very fast. Well there's no way that will explain this little bug. I began to realize how could this particular little animal for instance evolve? Uh, it needed all of its parts, it needed everything there all at once, or you just don't have the animal. And my stomach started to churn, if, if I really want to be honest. And my wife would tell you, my stomach churned for five years. It took a five-year struggle for me to begin to flip the way I think, from thinking in an evolutionary way to thinking in more this animal or little creature, little bug, whatever, was created uh, fully formed, just like it is, because that went against everything I'd ever learned. Bugs are popular here tonight. Now, yeah, Spider got it, man. That's some serious action, right? Yeah. <laughs> but notice what he says there. He says uh, it, took a, it was a five-year struggle, but what, what brought about the uh, eventual conversion? In essence, once he was challenged to look at the facts by his own students, and he was honest with the facts, it, it created a dilemma because the truth by his own teaching, he says, I was never taught this. I wasn't taught even about all the, the, the assumptions were made, let alone this bug. And, and so what that tells you is he was in a world where it was all suppressed from him. But all it took was the design of a bug to get him to think that, wait a second, there's no way this could evolve by chance. And he eventually became a Christian. Okay? Now think about... Again, Romans chapter 1, we see this almost every single time. That passage there that says that God has given us all this evidence to show us his uh, evidence of his existence by what he has made. The chapter heading says the wrath of God is being revealed against mankind. That's how it starts. And then you think about how much this is being suppressed. Can you imagine if this, and this is good science. If this was taught in school, do you imagine how many kids overnight would come to the same logical conclusion, oh, there is a God. 
And do you know how that would change the moral fabric instantly of our nation overnight? Because the reason why people act so ungodly is because they don't believe there is a God. That I'm not accountable to anybody. But if you deal with true facts and you unsuppress it uh, to the people, people come to the conclusion God exists. Okay, and then they join in all creation and say, hey, he is worthy of worship. He is holy, he is holy, he is holy. He lives forever and ever and ever. And he gets all the glory and the honor and the power because, wow, he is the creator of all things. Can you imagine how different our world would be if these wickedness and the men and their wickedness would stop suppressing this truth? And again, this is the charge to you and I as the Christian. Hey, folks, this is our society. Like it, lump it, leave it or not. This is the state that we are in. So unless you and I take this information and share it with people, they're not going to get it. So this isn't just for us, it's for us to share. Okay, and I, I, I got to share, share with this. A British cosmologist, he's Edward Milne, he says this. As to the cause of the universe, in context of expansion, that's left for the reader to insert. He says, but our picture is incomplete without God. You deal with the facts, break the lid off, sticker no sticker, you're going to come to the conclusion, scientists or not, that there is a God, okay? Uh, but that's not all. The next evidence we're going to take a look at is the evidence of the plant kingdom. Did you know that God made a plant and uh, that when it shoots its seed out, it pops out at 50 miles an hour? My theory is don't be looking too close at that plant. when it. Okay, but, uh, and then what we're going to do after that, Lord willing, next week, now we're going to get down to the bacteria. Now we're going to get down to the DNA level. And what you're going to see is the further you get, the smaller what God creates, the more complex it is. The exact opposite of evolution. But we'll get to that, Lord willing, next week. Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries. And I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay, how many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief, okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name 
in vain. Hey folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay, and folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God, and you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn, we, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it, and a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail, and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, 
And they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.